The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined this week by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, man? How's it going? Good to be back, and hello to everybody out there listening. Oh man, glad that you could join us. A reminder that Notice Score is brought to you by the CSPN. You can find this at www.cspn.us. You can also download and subscribe to us through iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. And we can also be uh, found on any app used to play podcasts through Apple or Android. So, the way we're going to get right into it, we've got December NFL football. Um, the Sunday night game last week before we uh, wrapped up the show, we were going to get the Steelers and the Ravens facing off. The Steelers came back to win a shootout, 39-38. Um, as Jesse predicted on the show, it was a game that the Pittsburgh Steelers would win through the air. Van Roethlisberger over 500 yards passing. Um, that the game was followed up on Monday night by the Dolphins. Stunning. Was the Patriots down in Miami. So that led into today, showdown Sunday, between the best two teams in the AFC as the Steelers trying to complete just a murderer's row where they had to play the Bengals, a blood feud, followed by the Ravens, and then this game right here at home versus the Patriots. And then, of course, the Patriots coming off this loss. trying to They need one more win to wrap up their division. So the game just wrapped up a finale, and the Patriots survived the last-second comeback with an interception in the end zone after what appeared to be a Pittsburgh Steelers game-winning touchdown was overturned as Jesse James did not complete the catch to the ground. Um, just a crazy uh, last four minutes of this game. We had basically uh, three uh, fourth-quarter comebacks in the last four minutes. We had uh, Brady go down and uh, take the lead. Then we had a little answer by Pittsburgh. Brady got the ball again, answered, tied it up. They were down by 11. They scored 11 points in like four minutes. So, Dwayne, just talk about the last really about eight minutes of this game. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh got uh, hampered by Antonio Brown getting injured. Uh, They believe uh, something with his calf. Um, He had to get uh, actually rushed to the hospital for further evaluation. So um, it was a classic, and the Patriots somehow survived. Well, I mean, this was actually just something that was expected in a Brady Roethlisberger matchup. You have two teams with two great quarterbacks and dynamic offenses coming down to the wire. And with the Jesse James touchdown scenario, with it getting overturned, it was the right call, I thought. And. And it was controversial. I was looking more at the knees. Both of the knees are down versus the completion of the catch. And so either way, to me, in my assessment, that game was pretty much over with. And the fake spike backfired, obviously, with the with the interception uh, that ended the game. So props to the Patriots. They didn't quit when it looked like they were down and looked like Pittsburgh was going to pull away. They kept it going. You can never count Tom Brady out. I think we learned that in the last Super Bowl. So this was a good game, great matchup, and just something to, to something that we can look forward to as we 
get closer into the playoffs and and the playoffs begin and see how far these two can go. Because because they could meet again. I'm sorry. Right. Right. Yeah. Just a, a you know all time classic duel between these two. Um, Tom Brady really relied on Gronk in the second half. I think he had like over 130 yards receiving in the second half alone. Now uh, he basically uh, ended up getting the game winning touchdown. Uh, from Tom Brady. So, I um, mean, yeah, just a, another classic. And like you said, Tom, Tom Brady has this mastery over the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is amazing. Like uh, he threw an interception in the uh, third quarter. It was the first interception he'd thrown in 12 years versus the Steelers. <laughs> just That's you. amazing. You're right. That's just real amazing. This tells you how, how dominant he's been against that particular team. And that team is no slouch on defense, you know? Yeah. No slouch at all. It's, really remarkable just shows the greatness that that is Tom Brady agreed now we'll turn it over to another showdown as we had the returning Aaron Rodgers was here to save the Packers season Brett Hundley had done enough to keep him in the hunt kept him alive and Aaron Rodgers was going to come out of the bullpen see if he nailed down a playoff spot well they traveled to Carolina today and the Panthers behind a little bit of Christian McCaffrey a whole lot of Cam Newton Get the win, 31-24. Aaron Rodgers was a little rusty. He had three interceptions to go with his three touchdowns. So the Panthers uh, keep pace with the Saints. As the Saints did win, they beat the Jets. So they're still tied atop the NFC South. So, Dwayne, we know the Panthers are your squad. Uh, Assess how they look today and, uh, you know, pulling out this victory versus the Packers. It was a huge win for Carolina against – Aaron Rodgers, one of the best in the game. And there were a couple throws from Aaron Rodgers that he normally would have hit. And uh, we did touch on this before the show, that normally those passes he would have made, they would have been completions, but shaking the rust off. But Carolina did a good job getting to Aaron. They also, the secondary was, was on point with the interceptions. There was a scary play with Devontae Adams getting hammered by Thomas Davis, uh, helmet to helmet, hit on a block during one of the interception returns. Um, So I hope Devontae Adams is going to be all right. And it was a huge blow to the Packers' playoff hopes, but it keeps Carolina, you know, in the hunt for the NFC South title. They have to get ahead of New Orleans somehow. And with the Saints, you know, having the tiebreaker with two wins and these two could possibly meet for a third time in new Orleans, uh, if the standings hold up, but it was a good, good game overall. McCaffrey was excellent. Um, Demir bird was really the hero of the game with the, was now labeled as the butt catch where he uh, was falling down, but he caught the ball and was just inside the end zone. And at first it was an incompletion, but it turned out to be a touchdown, so it was – and then he had another touchdown afterwards. So, real good game. Cam Newton did his thing, and Carolina looked really well and really good in terms of the offense, the defense, and holding off Aaron Rodgers to get that W. All right. From the we-didn't-see-this-one-coming department, the Rams go to Seattle – and clinch their division by totally blowing out the Seahawks, 42-7. to Todd Gurley had a big day. He ran wild. And uh, 
Definitely a statement win by the Los Angeles Rams as they are the NFC West division champions. So shout out to Sean McVay and his first season, turning that program around and getting them squarely in the playoffs. And, um, you know, they really made an impressive statement where the Eagles kind of struggled today uh, against, with the Giants, their first start uh, with Nick Foles. So, you know, the Rams, you know, kept the pressure on them that if they happen to falter, that, you know, the Rams could hop over them for that number one seed uh, in the NFC playoffs. Um, so can you just talk about, you know, the? Um, I think people thought the Rams would improve and maybe be at eight and eight. But I don't think anybody saw, you know, currently 12 and three. So I just, you know, kind of talk about the Rams and, and their firepower. And it's just impressive. Yeah, it was very, very impressive. And for the L.A. Rams to get to this point, I knew once Sean McVay, who had a great uh, run with Kirk Cousins as the OC in, in Washington. And then you add the fact that, you know, he had a young quarterback in Jared Goff, and, and he got him really going. I think once the Rams got rid of the purgatory that was Jeff Fisher, the offense just has been flourishing. And Todd Gurley, much to my chagrin, I mean, he had three touchdowns three touchdowns and 144 yards at halftime. And it was just a shocker. I mean, the Rams have always given the Seahawks fit. Um, excuse me. The Rams have always given the Seahawks fits. However, we didn't see a 42-7 stampede. And, you know, a 10-4, they have the tiebreaker over the Saints. They also have the, they also have the tiebreaker, I want to say, over the Vikings. So, um they're still in the three seed. They're still in the mix, and we just have to see where they go from here. But a great, great win for the Rams in this in this matchup. Well, everybody know we just got joined by Nabias Wilborn. What's going on, Nabias? Man, what's up, fellas? Everybody good? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just talking about this NFL, man. We talked about the Patriots and we talked about the Panthers, and now we just finished up with the Rams. So, if you want to, uh, you know, throw in any thoughts about, uh, you know, any one or three of those teams uh, before uh, before he does, the Panthers are up for sale. Jerry Richardson has put the Panthers up for sale. Oh, what that just just well, I mean, wow. That's it's going to be some interesting. I guess we'll start there. It's going to be some interesting times in the city of Charlotte, the state of North Carolina, and the Carolinas region. I mean, what? the accusations that have been laid down against Jerry, excuse me, Mr. Richardson, I mean, seem to be really serious, man. I mean, I, I read on uh, the SI article and wow. I mean, it's, I guess we've gotten to a point where nothing is shocking anymore, but it almost kind of is that it was so brazen. Right. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like the things that, you know, he was allegedly, I guess we'll say saying to these women, you know, that, you know, allegedly at least once using the N word. Um, and by the way, to the audience, you know, I have to, I have to use the word allegedly because you know, I, until he's proven guilty of these things, I, I have to say alleged or accused of. You know, I have to be very careful in language. Uh, I don't like libel suits. Um, you know, neither should the show. But if what has been he has been accused of is true, I mean, it's really bad. But you know, on the I guess on the football side, the current football side, I mean. That team came out and got a win against, you know, the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers looked like Aaron Rodgers for bits and pieces of that game. But when it came down to it, the Carolina Panthers, Panthers are a good team, man. And wouldn't it be interesting if they have a run this year 
and Jerry Jones isn't there. And, you know, um, you know, I don't know how many billionaires there are who want to take over NFL teams. I mean, this is really insane. You know, you think about it. I mean, there was a point where Jerry Richardson was probably one of the five most powerful owners in the NFL. I mean, there's Jerry Jones, you know, there's the Mara family in, in, in New York. I mean, hell, he's the only, he's only the second owner other than George Hallis that played in the NFL and owned a team. So, I mean, the man's been a part of the NFL for the greater part of, you know, 50, 60 years. And to see that he allegedly has been risking his career this way, it's disappointing. But, I mean, let's be real. I can't really say I'm too surprised. You know what I mean? So, um, what happens next with them as a franchise, I don't know. But they won a big game today. So, you know, shout out to them. And isn't it ironic that, you know, Jerry Richardson, a guy who, you know, wanted Cam Newton to behave a certain way, you know, went out and hired this publicist for him to publicist who turns out you know being a part of Breitbart and these racist sites you know turns out that uh he should have been checking himself and apparently some of the things he's doing some of these accusations go back 20 30 years you know since he owned a Hardee's back in the day so um if you haven't read that SI story it is really illuminating and dark and it's just another thing you know um I've talked about this on the show before and on Twitter and sure we all have too you know like I said, as men in general, we all got to really check ourselves. But, you know, somebody with Jerry Richardson's kind of power, there's no telling what type of stuff he got away with. And, you know, we know how these things go, right? Like, this is what he was called out on today. There's no telling how much more of there is left now that it has been made okay for people to come out and talk. So we're only just getting started. And for him to put that team up for sale, that must mean he he, he feels he did something. Because, I mean, I don't think the man would have given up that team otherwise. So, whew, what a mess. All right, all right. Did you get a chance to watch any of the uh, Patriots-Pittsburgh uh, game? The bias? No, yeah, yeah, you broke up. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, did you get a chance to watch any of the Patriots in Pittsburgh? I did, man. I mean, hey, man, you know, the Steelers, right? I mean, wasn't it? Boy, about we were saying that Mike Tomlin, um, more people saying that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he had forgotten how to coach and, you know, all these things. But when it came down to it, I don't think it, I don't think it was on him. Tom Brady, just Tom Brady and found a way to pull that game out close. I mean, about three. So, you know, the Patriots are a good club. I still think the Steelers are right there. But for a while, it looked like the Steelers had that thing going away. And then towards the end, the Patriots did what they had to do. So, but I mean, I think these teams are the two best teams in the AFC, probably two of the best teams in the NFL, closely matched game. Right. I typically have no rooting interest, but I did kind of want the Steelers to win. I, think, I do think Mike Tomlin doesn't get enough credit as a head coach. But, you know, Belichick got him again, man. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be the history. At, um, I think that's five in a row uh, that the Patriots have won over the Steelers. Um, and that Antonio Brown is out, at least in the playoffs, partially torn calf. That's, that's the scary part. That's the part you really are concerned about because when he was in that game – he had just made a big play right before the injury happened. You know, I, I knew it was pretty soon I took the man to the hospital. These stadiums are equipped with so many medical barbers. I'm sure you know Dwayne. But, you know, to see him have to go to the hospital that day, it was pretty serious. Considering this team just lost Ryan Shazier and now go back to lose Antonio Bryant, I mean, it's we're going to find out, you know, but this is where coaches earn their money because now, you know, you can say next man up, but it's hard to say next man up when it's – some people would say the best receiver in the league. He's definitely having one of the best seasons 
that a receiver has had in the last five, ten years. So that is a really tough break, but you know, this yeah. is the NFL. Yeah. You know, yeah. Agreed. Uh, just some more news around the NFL before we move on. The Vikings clinched their division uh, with a blowout win against the Bengals. It was reported this morning that Marvin Lewis will be stepping down at the end of the season. Uh, it was said to pursue other opportunities elsewhere, so I don't know if he's got something lined up already that he feels is better or if he's going to TV, but uh, good luck to Marvin Lewis. The Jaguars clinched a playoff berth today as they uh, routed the Texans. Uh, Blake Bortles, three touchdown passes. Don't look now, y'all, but he's starting to kind of look like a confident quarterback. And that Jacksonville secondary and uh, pass rush is a beast. Saxonville. <laughs> and the Eagles clinched the first round playoff by. Uh, they had a tough game against the Giants today. The Giants really played hard, made a lot of big plays in the passing game. Um, those young wide receivers um, really, really showed up and, and played well. Uh, King, uh, Shepard all had long uh, touchdown uh, runs and multiple touchdowns today. So um, good effort by the Giants. You know, they're really playing for Spagnolo here the last couple of games. Um, they played Dallas tough basically to the fourth quarter, and then they had some turnovers, and that one got away from them. Uh, but they gave Philly all they could handle uh, this afternoon. So so what uh, So what do we think about uh, Marvin Lewis leaving, man? What, 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 what do we think about that? Um, it was uh, reportedly last year Chris Cooley had some information – that this was going to happen last year. And in the last year, um, Marvin Lewis, of course, you know, um, there was, you know, then it came out that he was kind of iffy, but then he kind of, you know, came out in the media and then kind of just said, no, nah, that's crazy. What does he know about what's going on over in Cincinnati? But for it to come around again this year kind of leads me to believe that, um, you know, it may be TV, it may be health related. I'm not sure. It just may be, you know, hey, I've done all I can do here is eight seasons, nine seasons. We've had our worst season here in a long time. Um, you know, I, I doubt people think he's going to get fired, but, you know, he just may want to walk away with the dignity of just saying, hey, you know, I tried my best. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think this makes Chris Cooley, and I'm not even going to go there. Um, I guess we could call it reporting. I don't necessarily think that this makes his reporting true. I mean, no, no, could, not for, it's just the speculation of Mark. Yeah, but I, I, don't even, I don't even think it makes him. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dignify Chris Cooley. I'm just not gonna do it. But I get what you're saying. Um, you know, the man was there 15 years, man, and that's a really long time considering what the Cincinnati Bengals franchise has been under the ownership of Mike Brown Jr. I mean, most NFL in most NFL circle, we talked about how Jerry Richardson was one of the more influ- influential owners. Paul Brown Jr. is probably the least influential owner. He's one of and the crazy thing is he's one of the old school owners, but you know, he's not really respected in those circles. Everybody knows that's a cheap yeah, everybody knows it's a cheap, poorly run or organization and franchise. The fact that Marvin Lewis, yeah, he didn't win any playoff games. And I think that's gonna be the sticking point is that he never won a playoff game. But the fact that they had so many winning seasons, the fact that they got to the playoffs so many times, I think speaks volumes to what he was. Cause I saw a lot of people tweeting, Oh, well, yeah, you know he was mediocre or he was like the black guy version of a mediocre. And I'm like, nah, I'm nah like, not at all. I'm like, nah, don't put that on that man like that. I mean, I get it. I understand. You know, people want to make their jokes and everything and everything like that, but nah, don't put that on that man. Not, not, when, uh, not when you look at their facilities, they have the worst facilities 
of any team in the league. They don't even have a practice facility. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, they literally practice, like, in the parking lot of the stadium, man. Come on, bro. And you have to remember where they were when he got to them and just how bad, you know, at the time when Marvin Lewis got the job, if he could have got one playoff appearance out of the Bengals, it it would have been a successful tenure, not to mention seven. And, you know, they've had a couple of eight and eight seasons where they missed the playoffs just on the fringe. So, yeah, you're right. You know, he's much more than just a – a mediocre uh, football coach. Now he has had playoff success, which is a totally different style of football, which is, you know, injuries like we're talking about with Pittsburgh, you know, with Brown, maybe going to the playoffs without him play a big part in that, who you play, if you play them on the road, play them at home. I mean, you got to remember the first time they ever got into the playoffs, he had Ocho Cinco, those boys, they had that offense coming. Played the Steelers and Russell Palmer gets rolled up on. Yeah, and keep in mind, like I said, there's a lot of things that happen. Like you just said, like when you when look when they were rolling, they could have been a Super Bowl contender. But when you run up against, look, the playoffs are hard. I mean, and and I and I know somebody's gonna say, well, the bias is making excuses and blah blah blah. And maybe I am, but I also realize how hard it is to win in the NFL. How hard it is to even get there. But you know, I think Bill Parcells said it best. You are what your record says you are. And at the end of the day, even with this season being as bad as it is. The Bengals, he still has a winning record as Bengals coach. He still has more winning seasons than basically any Bengals coach. You know what I'm saying? If you really look at it throughout right. the history of what that franchise has been, I mean. He has more wins than Paul Brown, who founded the Bengals. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, the fact that his son is still able to oh, – if anybody franchises Bill Purcell, it should be the Bengals anyway. But Or if, or at least, Mike, see, the problem with Mike Brown for me is that he thinks he's Jerry Jones where he can be the owner, the GM, and the president. And he needs to give the GM role up at least because there's no competency because as an owner, he's cheap. Jerry Jones spends money. Mike Brown does not. Jerry Jones has a facility the size of a high school football stadium. Mike Brown has a parking lot. So my whole thing is with that, uh, with Marvin Lewis, I was just, it was a matter of time. I actually was sitting with a Bengals fan who was actually kind of glad to see see him go, and he wanted them to take Andy Dalton with him. So, um, you know, frustrated fan there from Cincinnati. And I don't know. It's just they hit a wall the last few years, and it is time for a change. It's been time, I think, for a while. But what Marvin Lewis has done for that franchise is remarkable given the circumstances. So give them a lot of credit for that. Right, right. We're going to shift the subject over to basketball. As as the Ball family turns, the Ball brothers have signed to play over in Lithuania together uh, in the pro league over there. Um, I think they're going to play in the lesser of the two pro leagues. Um, so, Nabias, let me jump on with you. We haven't heard your thoughts about what LeVar Ball is doing by um, taking LiAngelo and LaMelo uh, basically out of the – you know, traditional way you make it to the NBA and going the overseas route. Uh, what are your thoughts um, on this development? I mean, you know, life's funny, right? I mean, it was supposed to be all three of the boys supposed to go to UCLA. Um, basically, from what I've gathered from talking to pr- player personnel people, scouts, so on and so forth, you know, they don't really believe that middle boy Jello is an NBA prospect. They don't believe that he's there. They don't believe he's at that caliber at that level, right? Um, they do believe that LaMelo has a chance. He has a shot. He has he's an elite shooter. He can really shoot. His form is there and he can hit shots. You know, but he's only sixteen 
And I think he weighs like 150 pounds. You know what I mean? So it's really hard to know what the next three years are going to be, what he's going to project as in two. And the league, he's playing the team they're playing for. The team has some financial problems. Um, <clears throat> from what I understand, I think they'll be lucky to make $500 a week, $500 a month, excuse me, not a week, a month. And I think they'll be even luckier to actually see it based upon that organization. They're going to a league that's notoriously physical. They're going to be practicing two times a day with a coach that, from what I've, from what I've heard, is essentially the Lithuanian LeVar Ball. So he's going to be yelling at him, and, and a guy doesn't speak very much English. So, I mean, it's going to be a really tough transition. And, you know, they're going to Lithuania. I, you know, I mean, if LeAngelo isn't involved in that stealing ring, which well, I shouldn't call it a ring, but, the, you know, the silly stuff they got into over there in China, I do think UCLA was being a bit punitive in their punishment, particularly when you find out UCLA was taking away their meal plans. Like, okay, it's one thing to suspend them from the basketball team, but then you put it, then you make it an indefinite suspension, which I always, I'm not a fan of those. Like, make a decision on a punishment, stick with it, rock with it. All right, so then you make it indefinite, then you take away the kid's meal plans. Now, it's not that the kid couldn't buy his own meals. You know, obviously, with a brother in the league and, you know, his dad having the training business, ain't got money, but it ain't the point. You don't take away somebody's food. So I can see why LeVar pulled him out of UCLA, even though I didn't like it. But the way it's going to be tough. And then for that, for that younger boy, 16, playing in a grown man's league, it ain't going to be easy. I'm not going to say he can't do it, but it's going to be a really tough thing to up against. I do think that they can do well there. It's just they're going to have to really work, and we'll see how much those kids really love playing basketball. All right. Dwayne, you got any thoughts that you want to share before we move on to the next? Life came at them fast, and – the virus pretty much summed it up. It's going to be essentially a culture shock for both of them. I, I was going to be surprised if LiAngelo was going to be the eighth man off the bench at UCLA. And those same prospects were for him were he'd be lucky if he was starting in a mid-major program. So my thing is, are they really going to be able to be transitioning to uh, Lithuania in a lower-tier league where – you don't get that much money, and you have a language barrier problem. A lot of things are going to play into this, and it's not going to be good. I hope it works for them. You know, good luck. I think LeVar probably should have just kept training LaMelo and LiAngelo back in the States and and just go from there. But best of luck. Godspeed. All right. Now, currently in the NBA, we're in the midst of a whole lot of teams winning a whole lot of games in a row. I think the Cavs are something like uh, 17 out of their last 18. The Rockets have won 13 in a row. The Warriors, even with you know all the injuries they're facing, have won eight in a row. Uh, the Chicago Bulls, surprisingly, have strung together five wins in a row. So it looks like to me that Chris Paul has kind of figured out, uh, you know, what the Houston offense is all about as he has, you know, pitched in uh, this week to contribute to their um, winning streak as he's had a couple of 30-point games and a couple of 28-point games. So, Nabias, just kind of what do you see from uh, Chris Paul uh, adjusting to the Rockets? I mean, you know, this is a style of basketball he's never really played before. Um, you know, he's used to kind of getting the ball, setting up play, and kind of going from there where the Rockets is just, you know, first man to touch it, you know, get it across court, and if you got a shot, shoot it. So kind of what do you see this past week in Chris Paul's game that's kind of led to this uh, new explosion of points and uh, helping out Harden? I mean, it, it looks it looks good to me. I mean, what, they're, they're undefeated when Paul plays, right? I think he's played, what, in now 14 games or 14-0 when he plays. So 
it looks like it's working. Um, they looked really comfortable together, unlike OKC, where those guys are still kind of deferring to each other and trying to find their way and kind of piecing it together. So it doesn't like it, their thing is working. But in Houston right now, and don't forget about Eric Gordon and all these other guys. they got a lot of guys who can shoot, a lot of guys who can spread it for. I mean, they are essentially playing like the future. You know, we always joke on Twitter, you know, this guy is in 2037. Well, the Houston Rockets are. Now, is it enough to beat Golden State? I don't know. I tell you what, it's enough to make it a fun playoff series. I tell you that, and I would, I would love to be covering that series. Um, you know, shout out Sporting News, you know, hook your boy up. But um, just saying, that would be a really fun series to cover, and I think there's a chance, you know, that Houston could give Golden State everything they want. Did so. All right, um, Dwayne, bring you in and talk about the Cavs. Um, it took a you know career night from Victor Oladipo. To you know, for somebody to get a game off of them, and it's only been one out of the last eighteen. Uh, LeBron still pulling off superhuman acts, but talk about their bench and their role players. What are you kind of seeing from them to kind of help stabilize Cleveland during this run? Probably the most no- notable thing about this run is the sacrifice Dwayne Wade has been making. He'd rather come off the bench, and he even said when Isaiah Thomas, when he returns, he wants to stay coming off the bench. So the chemistry there is. Is working well. Channing Fry, Channing Fry is playing out of his mind right now. He's been pretty consistent, and the whole bench really uh, Corver as well. And you got to really look at it as this team is chasing Boston because Boston has faltered a little bit. So uh, I wonder if the the runs that they had are catching up to them. And you know, Cleveland struggled five and seven in the first twelve, but. They are rolling right now, and shout-outs to them. So it's going to be very interesting. I hope the Celtics can maintain the top spot, but Cleveland is playing very well. So uh, Friday night, OKC and Philadelphia 76ers put on a show for the whole country, a triple overtime thriller. Uh, OKC was uh, victorious. Of course, we had some fun interaction between Joel Embiid and Russell Westbrook. Uh, Joel Embiid played the most minutes he's played as a professional. Uh, he was dog tired, but he made probably two of the biggest plays of the game where he blocked Westbrook twice in that third overtime to keep the 76ers with a chance to win it at the end. Uh, J.J. Redick uh, didn't get a shot off there to try to win a, a three-pointer near the buzzer. Um, so did any of you guys get a chance to see that game and just kind of your thoughts? Um, you know, it was one of the few games where OKC did actually play well um, in, in that game, but I think more people will be impressed with the 76ers, at least on a national stage, because I'm pretty sure that's the first game a lot of people really had a chance to to see them showcased. Nabias, if you want to jump in first, you can. Dwayne, Nabias, either one of you guys want to take that? It's open. Uh, okay, so yeah, the so yeah, I mean, the Sixers have been they've been featured on a few games nationally, anyways, and so uh, this team is really believed in the process. Uh, Joel Embiid's been all in. Uh, a lot of the young guys, Sarich, uh, McConnell, Covington, along with J.J. Redick, and it was very, very, it's very refreshing to see because, you know, Philadelphia, you've got the Flyers who've been the top ticket at the Wells Fargo Center, the Eagles playing well, and and now with the Sixers finally coming back to relevance and the process is working and I think it's really been 
refreshing to see. I think the Sixers are one of those teams when they're good, the league, the league is good as a whole. So I'm really glad to see that, you know, the work Embiid has done in order to stay healthy and the plans that they have had to keep him healthy, you know, resting them on back-to-backs and having a big game like he did against the Thunder. And my favorite part of that game, you know, was the two blocks that Embiid had on Westbrook, but Westbrook had the last laugh telling him to go home. And, of course, Embiid responding, saying, I wish I could take 33 shots at their point out. Russ went 10 for 33. So that was – it was very fun to watch. Um, and it's always good to get different teams showcased in the NBA like the Sixers. So shout-out to them. Right. Uh, very big week for Embiid. I mean, he got that showcase game right there against OKC. Um he went up against Carl Anthony Towns uh, earlier in the week and had a big game in the win against him. So, you know, he's definitely, you know, getting some big notches in his belt and, and having some performances against the very best in these big um, highlight performance games. So definitely um, one of the must-see players in the NBA right now is Joel Embiid. So just a reminder that I am joined by Nabias Wilborn and the Libra icon, Dwayne, and you're listening to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. We're going to shift it over to baseballs. The hot stove uh, got back cranked up again as the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers made a big swap. Uh, some people are calling this a uh, you know, revolutionary swap as we had Matt Kemp traded for four players. Uh, Brandon McCarthy, uh, Adrian Gonzalez, two of the bigger names uh, in that. So we got our man, Nabias, here, perfect timing to uh, give us the inside scoop. Um, this kind of gives the Dodgers a little bit of, uh, you know, money relief as, you know, their payroll was starting to balloon up. Uh, the Braves and Kemp kind of, you know, they never kind of worked out. Um, so Nabias is kind of, what's the skinny uh, from the Braves' perspective on this move? Well, look, man, I got this kid, Ronald Acuna, who's supposed to be the next coming of, Andrew Jones or whatever have you, right? I mean, and the kid can play. I mean, the kid's just, I've seen him play a few times in the minors, and the kid's special. Every scout I've talked to about him says, you know, this kid is, this kid's got it. He's, he's the goods. So he's a corner outfielder because they're not trying to get rid of Andrew Inciarte who plays center. Acuna, I think, prefers center field, but I think, you know, you don't let go of a two-time gold glover, right, in Ender. So that means he got to play one of the corners. And Matt Kemp was on the corner. And Mark, Nick Marquette is on the corner. No, left and right field, conversely. Matt Kemp struggles with defense because he's older and heavier and, you know, had the injuries and everything. And the Braves stadium is a left-to-center ballpark, right? So meaning that you need a really solid left fielder, and the Braves had to get rid of one or the other. So it wasn't going to be Marquecas because, like, people like Marquecas. Matt Kemp, unfortunately, wasn't liked. and But the perception was going to – was that – the Braves weren't going to be able to move Matt Kemp's contract because it was so big, and, well, they did. So, you know, shout-out to the Braves for figuring it out. Personally, I liked Matt Kemp, but I know a lot of people in the Braves organization weren't very fond of him, mainly because when he came into camp, excuse me, in the spring training, he was really in shape. He had gotten in shape. He had did what he had to do, you know, looked really good. But when he started struggling with the injuries, he got out of shape. And by the time he came back to play, he was – pretty much overweight, to be honest. And, you know, that just doesn't fly well when you're getting paid the money he was getting paid. So, you know, good move for him. I mean, mate, now as far as McCarthy, you know, if he can pitch again, that'd be great because he could essentially take the place of a Dickey. 
So I think that would be good. Ari Dickey, you know, being that veteran starter, you can count on, you know, for a significant amount of injury, for a significant amount of innings. Scott Casimir, yeah, we'll see. You know, from what I've heard, he's kind of high maintenance, so that's a concern. But, you know, they're here, and I don't think Matt Kipp's going to be a Dodger. I think they're going to release him by the time spring training starts, so he'll get a chance to go somewhere else. And they really, and the Braves released Adrian Gonzalez, you know, who had gotten a little older, and they already had a really good first baseman in Cody Bellinger. Obviously, the Braves have a first baseman guy named Freddie Freeman, so he wasn't going to get past Freddie. So, I mean, yeah, it's a tough situation, man. It's a tough break, but I do think that this the Braves got the best thing out of this, and the Dodgers got the best thing out of this, and it just goes to show you what relationship building does because all this conversation started at the winter meetings, and they had to make it work, and that's why a certain owner who wasn't at the winter meetings, who should have been there, but, you know, hold the conversation, Derek Jeter. Yeah, uh, speaking of which, uh, they uh, traded Ozuna to the uh, Cardinals, so their fire still continues over there at the Florida Marlins, trying to get their payroll down. And uh, some interesting uh, news also out of the meetings were the uh, Baltimore Ravens, um, excuse me, Orioles, uh, were kind of floating out there that, you know, Machado uh, that is, you know, they're not looking to trade them, but, you know, they're listening. And, of course, the Yankees were the first team up to the plate, but most people don't think that that's going to happen, not within the division. But the White Sox seem to have a lot of interest and were, you know, seem to be making significant overtures to the Baltimore Orioles about Manny Machado. Dwayne, uh, you, are you familiar with Machado and, uh, you know, kind of his prospects? He's, he wants to move to shortstop uh, this year to take over for J.J. Hardy. Um, because he retired this year. So kind of what do you think about the Orioles maybe um, moving, getting something for Machado before he becomes a free agent? I guess they don't feel like they're going to be able to pay him. It's probably the best move to move Manny Machado. And, and yeah, if the White Sox have an opening at shortstop and if they can get by and work out a deal, why not go for it? The White Sox need something to get the get the city – to pay attention to them because it's all about the Cubs right now on the north side. So the south side has been quiet. So it's really time to start making moves. If you could get a bat like Manny Machado, go for it. And also, you know, with they need to improve the farm system, Charlotte Knights. Um, so they really need to make something happen to get, like I said, get that buzz. And the Orioles need to do that if they can't afford to keep him and get the money that he's looking for. Yeah, it's time to, you know, get something out of it, get some prospects out of it, or or um, get some players out of it, because there are some young players the White Sox do have, and go from there. It's very unfortunate that the Orioles have become one of these teams that can't afford their, you know, young players when they become superstars, because, you know, back in the day, Peter Angelos, you know, would have done everything in his power to keep Manny Machado at Oriole, um, you know, He's definitely one of these once-in-a-generational type players. And, uh, you know, it looks like the Orioles aren't going to be able to, you know, even though they've developed them and, and kept them in their system uh, and seen them mature and, and are on the verge of, you know, getting to see him be a full-blown superstar. Looks like somebody else is going to get the championship-winning gears of Manny Machado. And uh, it's unfortunate it's not going to be the Orioles for this fan. So at this point, we're going to open it up to well, – you know, oh, go ahead, Nabas. I was going to say, the thing is, man – you know, it seems like right now the only place that's really spending money is the Yankees right now, right? Yankees, Red Sox. I mean, Dodgers. you know, for a minute, yeah, Dodgers. I mean, before a minute, you know, the Yankees weren't spending bread like that. Then all of a sudden, 
I guess how I guess maybe how was visited by his father in his sleep or something. Decided, well, you know what? If we're gonna win, we got to spend bread. So, you know, thing with the Yankees, man. As much as people hate them, and I'm not a big Yankees guy either, but you know what? Like, there's a reason why they've won 27 championships throughout their history because they will do what it takes to win. There's three types of owners in sports, man. Always remember this. I don't tell you nothing else. There's owners who are just happy to own a team, like they just love the NFL, or NBA, or whatever sport, right? And they're just happy to own a team. Or just to own one because they want to own one. Then there's owners who would like to win if, it's don't, if it don't cost too much. They would like to win, you know, if it's not too hard or it's not, you know, too time-consuming. Then there's owners who have to win. And for a while, I thought Steinbrenner was in the two category. It seems now he's back in the three category where they have to win. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get a win. So, you know, good for them, but it's such a rest of baseball. And you know, we'll see how people develop their teams. Agreed. And I think for the first time in a long time, the Yankees actually developed their stars, like Judge and Sanchez, versus buying them from other teams. So that's one thing that I can say about a lot of the current Yankees, that they've been developed so through their actual farm system. Well, that's, 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 here's the knock. The original core of the Yankees Tory dynasty was all guys that played in the minor leagues together. They had like five guys. It was Posada, Jeter, uh, Rivera. Um, the other guy who was the closer before Mariano was the closer. He was he was with them too. So those like five or six guys were like the core of those Yankees. And then they sprinkled in Paul O'Neill and a couple of veterans here, Scott Boris, and you know the pitching to kind of get those guys just enough veteran experience around them. And then they won all the championships together. Then when they got older, when those when those first wave of guys, Paul O'Neill and them got old, then that's when the Yankees started, because they had won all those championships, they had all that extra money. Then that's when they just started buying every name to kind of fill up the spot. But the original Jeter, Posada, um, Andy Pettit, Rivera, Bernie Williams, all those guys were like homegrown. It was basically what you're talking about now. That's why a lot of people are comparing this new crop of Yankees to kind of those, you know, early dynasty years Yankees because it's kind of the same thing people see uh, coming together um, with the young guys and then a couple of veterans. And then, you know, hopefully their pitching staff, their bullpen can hold up. Seems like that got them in the playoffs this year. They just didn't have enough bullpen to sustain when they ran up against the teams with the stronger bullpens in the American League. So interesting offseason for baseball for sure. So at this point, I'm going to open it up to Nabias first for his final thoughts and his shout-outs this evening. Nabias, it's on you. Okay, yeah, man, sorry about that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting, right? I don't even know where to start with everything that is going on in the last couple of weeks. And I think last time I was on the show, that's about a month ago, too. I got to do better about being more on the show. But anyway, um, you know, that was when a lot of the stuff broke out on the Twitter with people whom we know or have been affiliated with. Um and then, you know, a lot of celebrities. And now, you know, we saw the NFL Network stuff. And then now, followed by the Jerry Richardson stuff. And, you know, it's hard because what whatever these things already happened, they happened. You know, but what I hope is that it teaches us is, is people, you know, to be aware of what you're doing. Pay attention to what you're doing. Be respectful of the people around you. And be honest. And be, you know, sincere in your interactions. Um, you know, cause, and it's not just about losing your job, man. Like if you're apologizing to somebody cause you're going to lose your job, it's bigger things than that. It's more about how you made someone feel and what you did to them. And hopefully 
you know, these people can find some peace within themselves that have been victimized and hopefully the abusers or people who have been abusers can also be better. So we just got to be better, man. I mean, that's just it. And it's a shame that happened and it's a shame it's been happening and, you know, we just got to be better. All right. Dwayne, your uh, final thoughts and shout outs. Oh, well, final thought, really. I want to say, First, the players only meeting that Michael Jordan had with those Charlotte Hornets about a week and a half ago. I don't think it's been working. Uh, the Hornets have been struggling uh, even before Steve Clifford went out with his health health issues. And I hope Coach Cliff does get better, uh, definitely. But uh, players only meeting was had uh, not too long ago with uh, Michael Jordan to kind of see what's going on with the team and. At first, it looked like it was going to work, but uh, they are on a three-game losing streak. They're riddled with injuries right now, and it's just a team that was expected, that had expectations to be successful, have not. So there's times running out to turn it around, and I, you know, living in Charlotte, being uh, from there, I'll, I'll call it home since I've lived there the longest of my life, it's really sad and unfortunate that all these victims that had to deal with uh, Jerry Richardson's antics. I just thought he was a guy who just had a stone face and never said anything, but reading the articles from Sports Illustrated today, it was just a lot of damning evidence and testimonies and allegations against him. And so allegedly what goes on, you know, behind closed doors, we just don't have an idea of until it comes to the light. And, you know, I hope the abused find healing. I hope they do heal. I definitely cannot imagine what they're going through, but I do hope that they can find healing. And I agree 100% with Nabias. We all have to be better. You know, I had gone through um, something that was nothing to do with me. So that even made me realize I had to be better myself. So it's just something that we all have to check ourselves on um, and women, everybody. All right. My final thought will be a congratulations to the North Carolina A&D Aggies, the winners of the Celebration Bowl on Saturday afternoon. Aggie pride? Uh, <laughs> they beat the Grambling Tigers. Now, I don't know uh, who won the Battle of the Bands. That's, you know, more up to your personal and, taste. And won, of course. <laughs> but uh, on the football field, it's a very exciting game. Came down to the fourth quarter. A&T, uh, their strength of their defense, um, you know, got a turnover, got a late touchdown, and they uh, go on to win the Celebration Bowl. So they had the best season they've ever had in the history of their football program, and they capped it off with a bowl win. So congratulations to all of those young men and those coaches who put in a lot of hard work this season. And uh, they'll go down as, you know, one of the greatest teams in the program. So uh, congratulations again to the North Carolina A&T Aggies. So for Nabias Wilborn and the Libra. Oh, oh, hey, hey, real, hey, real quick. Actually, yes, sir. Let me, I was at that game and, um, you know, 25,000 people attended at the Dome. It was really cool. You know, wrote a couple of stories on it. Um, well covered. Um, I by myself from ESPN was there. So real cool to see ESPN, like, putting some resources into covering that game, getting it on TV. And that quarterback from um, Grambling, Dante, Dante Kincaid, 
I don't know what type of pro future he has, but that kid is special. So it was really cool to, to be around that event. You know, they did it well. And so shout out to HBCU, shout out to the people who cover them, and shout out to seeing that stuff get some natural play. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I just thought that was really important to, to kind of share about that game and about that that weekend. Now, I got to shout out Lamar Raynard, though. Oh, and I, hey, that kid's, that kid's nice, man. Like I said, again, he's a kid, like, you know, the height isn't there, and he's kind of slight. So I don't know if he'll get a shot at the NFL, but I hope he gets it. I hope he at least gets it an invite to a senior bowl or one of these all-star games, if not the combine and kind of see where he's at. Cause that kid can play. And um, that quarterback, nice. that quarterback you guys got from um, Franklin McCain is really legit, man. Um, yeah. Matt McCain. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. yeah. I think Rainer's a junior, so he'll probably be back anyway. So yeah, like I said, hopefully when he comes up, man, he can put a little bit more weight on. I mean, he can't get taller, unfortunately, but Hopefully he can pull a bit more weight on it, and maybe he gets a shot somewhere. Because, like I said, he can play, man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So for Nabias, for Dwayne, I'm Don Delorente, and now you know the school.